Welcome to the Nokomoto Podcast. With me is your host, Swiggy. Yep. And I'm your other extraordinary host, MotoGP. Well, we are in Studio B again. And I don't know what episode this is. And it's not important. Let's see here. Business we need to get to before the show starts. Eric, who joined the Patreon... Your signed poster is going to be on its way Monday morning. I keep forgetting to bring the poster so Swiggs can sign it as well. I just keep assuming he's going to come over and we're going to record at Studio A again, but we keep ending up at Studio B here. But it is on its way, more or less. And uh, Phil, if you're listening, I am mailing you extra keys for the W650. Uh, what else do we need to address? Oh, yeah, it's still not too late to join the Patreon and get a signed poster and also have the ability to be a guest on the show. I, You know what? Not even a guest on the show. If you're a Patreon member and you're on the show, you're a third host for that day. Uh, okay. So, you know. Don't be afraid to join the Patreon, guys. It's okay. It's not expensive. You can just sign up for a fucking dollar. That's fine. I mean, we'd appreciate five bucks, and you can get a super sweet fucking mug and a sticker. Oh, wait, no. Five bucks just gets you the sticker. But uh, I can't remember if it's 10 or 15 gets you a fucking mug. All right? That's pretty awesome. That's worth it, isn't it? What do $10 people get? Do 10 and 15s get the mug? Or just 15? I don't know. You set up all of it. I know. I can't fucking remember. Anyway, you can get a fucking mug. It's pretty sweet. I should change the mugs to be the new logo, actually. Hmm. Anyway, you get a special sticker that you can only get if you're a Patreon member. And yeah. Okay. I don't think there's anything else super important, but I feel that there was. But, you know, I'm either going to remember it or I'm not. We're just going to roll into the show. We're going to keep going with the format that we've been going with since people seem to like it. We're going to do Best Worst Bike in the World this week. We're going to do Secret Questions, and hopefully we'll find a new motorcycle to talk about. I think I've got one. So, Swigs, are you ready to do Best Worst Bike in the World this week? I am. All right, everybody, here we go. This is Best Worst Bike in the World this week. If you're new, here's how it works. Swigs and I have each chosen a motorcycle. We do this every week. We do not know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. It's just more fun that way. There's a little bit of discovery, and it gives everyone the opportunity to do that most modern internet of things. Get outraged. You might get outraged. And you know what? Let's see if we can pull it off this week. Swigs, if you were outraged by a best or worst bike choice, what would you do? Well, first, I'd probably sit in a room quietly and just seethe for an hour and a half. And then when I had finally calmed myself down and composed myself, I'd send an email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. I think that is sage advice. Send your emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And you know what? We'll probably read it on the show. 
Okay. Do we have any outraged emails to read this week's wigs? Uh, not a lot right now. Not a lot? All right. Let's leave it another week and build some up. Okay. So, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Okay. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay, then. And the best bike in the world this week is? Any year, Honda ST1300 ABS. Hmm. You know, we may have done the Honda ST of some type before. I know we picked the 1100 as one of our best bikes of the 90s. I'm sure we've done the Honda ST100. Do you say the 1200 or 1300? Uh, the 1300. There is no 1200. Oh. Well, the 1300 is a wonderful bike. I remember at uh, Moto America, Dad was really taken by this bike this year. Uh, you mean AMA? Vintage days? What did I say? You said Moto America. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. At Vintage Days. Yeah. Dad saw one of these in that wonderful red color they do it. I think the black and white's best, but that red is nice too. And Dad was really, really taken by it. And I was like, these were the thing like 10 years ago. How did you not? It just completely passed him by this concept of sports tour. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really not entirely okay with these big sports tours really going away yet. I They kind of got replaced by adventure bikes. They did. There were, there were a few years where the RT, like the BMW 1200 RT, was kind of a popular bike for a little bit. But then the adventure bike craze kind of kicked in long way round, really kind of set off, you know, around like, was it 2003 or 2006? Somewhere in that range. Long Way Round was like 02, 03, I think. But it really took a few years because, it, okay, Long Way Round was like 02, 03. But it was on the, it it debuted on IFC, the Independent Film Channel, which I don't think even exists anymore. And it wasn't until it all became basically free on Netflix that that really started taking over when you could start streaming and just watching that show because nobody besides me saw it on IFC. Yeah, I only knew that it was on IFC from um I think I think they both show, both the the guys showed up on like on Jonathan Ross or something. On Jonathan Wass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Watts. Yeah. And then um that's that's where I saw it. Um yeah. So, so this bike I, has so many specs that you would be pleased as punch to have in a modern bike. Oh, yeah. So, this is 45 millimeter forks. Um, it is, uh, depending on the year, anywhere from 110 to like 125 horsepower. Kind of 85 to 90 foot pounds of torque. And because it's a, a V4, it has. Transverse V4. A transverse V4, which means it's got a direct linkage straight to the drive shaft, no additional 90 degree turns. It has a 7.7 gallon fuel tank. Uh, 
it has so the two bag the two side bags come as standard and they're both lockable and removable like you would have on most modern gv bags you it's got famously one of motorcycling's most comfortable seats not only that but it's an adjustable seat the seat can move like an inch forward or backwards and it can also it also has like an inch and a half of travel up and down as well uh, on the ABS model, which also, this is like ABS in 2004, so kind that of... worked as well. Yeah. And if you got the ABS model, um, you also got the electric adjustable windscreen without the insane controls that the Norge has. It's just within reach of your thumb, which is nice. Uh, you do have a fully fared sport touring bike, so... Even more wind protection than something like the Norch has. And honestly, it's just really insane amounts of power. It's... Yeah, for a touring bike, yeah. What's also great about this as a sport touring bike, I don't know if any other sport touring bike that does this, but it has uh, fold-away highway pegs as standard that fit into the lower fairing. Yeah. Uh, actually, are they standard? They I are. I think that's, a, I thought that was an aftermarket option. Do, are they on, is that on all of them? Uh, I don't know if it's, I believe it is on all of the ABS models. Huh. Because what the ABS model actually is. It's a cop bike. It's a cop bike. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually additional places. I don't know if you get the same fairing as the police edition, um, but there's also places on the frame where you can mount additional rails for things like lights if you wanted to. You can, um, there's some other things. There's some other mounting points it has. Um, you get a factory option for bag liners for all the bags, including a top box. And it, this bike is almost 20 years old. And it has things that you would expect to see in. A bike, you know, 10 years younger, you know, except for all the bullshit that you have today, like phone integration that you don't need. Uh, yeah, this is this is peak sport touring. It really is. I well, mm, I don't know. I may have to go that the concourse, especially the 1400 concourse was is peak sport touring. But this is near top of the mountain. And so, for what you'll pay for one of these with equivalent mileage of a concourse, this is such a fucking bargain. So what I would say there is that when it comes to sport tours, there's really two categories. There's there's sporty touring bikes, and there are sport bikes that are tourers. And this and the concourse are equidistant either side of the middle on that spectrum. Yeah. I would say that mm -hmm. the I would say that this is definitely more aggressive. This has got a significantly shorter wheelbase, I want to say. It's a few inches shorter. Um it's probably a bit lighter as well. It's still a big bike. It is, but this is actually I want to say this is like 3 inches uh, this is a 2 inch shorter wheelbase than the ST1100. And it's like 30 pounds lighter. 
They actually got it way smaller. Um, actually, what is what is the weight of a con of like a two thousand eight concourse? Uh, I I don't know. Um, well, when do they stop making this? Because they still make the concourse. I I'm wondering like which version of the concourse this was directly up against. I don't know. I, so this was. Um, I think they stopped making this in like 2013. I want to say that this bike in the black and whites is the sportiest looking and least kind of touring ish looking bike out of this category, right? So, like the FJR, the Concourse, the ST. I think this bike in the black and whites is the coolest looking of all three. Because this was kind of an old man-ish bike at the time. And I think there were a lot of people that were like, well, fuck it, I'll have a Hayabusa, you know, or I'll have a, a whatever sort of big displacement sport bike that I'll just use for touring if I feel like it, even though those kinds of bikes aren't that great for the... Oh, I will... There is one other thing I will... uh, One other feature I will mention about this bike is that because it was designed to be a cop bike, this has an additional 650 watts of power off the stator. Ooh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, mm. this this has so you can run heated gear and all that kind of yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think there are there are mods to like get a heated seat for this there and and all sorts and things and th- there's no way you can use all the power on this unless you're running the most insane lights possible. This has one of the the I feel is the most important features that a sport tour can have, which is. Your triple purpose mirrors. You have mirrors, which are incorporated into the fairing, which are also turn signals, which are also wind deflectors for your hands. Yeah, that that is peak design. That that well, is there's something another, that there's this another... category of bike just has to have, in my opinion. And they've thought of everything, which is to get those mirrors far out enough to actually be able to use them as mirrors and cover your hands they're breakaway so if the bike falls over you don't shatter and lose a turn signal and a mirror and a guard are they really breakaway that's good that's really good yeah honda thinks so much of this stuff it's so good yeah well also as a cop bike like you've got to be able to drop it i know that is another thing that the police bike has is it does have basically in that little bulbous lower section uh, the bike will first hit the um, yeah. It's essentially the highway built-in f- uh, frame sliders. Yeah, yeah. Like the bike is designed to be abused. Yeah, you can too. And I th- I can't remember if these have the um, hydraulic uh, 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 valves like the um, the gold wings of this time did. I can't remember. Um, 
But it doesn't matter because uh, the 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 heads are right there. If you need to do a valve job, it's just right there. It couldn't be any fucking easier. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't remember. But in general, this this is such a wonderful machine. Whether it's not quite as comfortable for a passenger as say the Goldwing, but. Uh, you can't go fucking wrong with one of these from the ST 1100 through the 12 to the 13. I mean, it, it, it's just actually, was there an ST 1200? Did they jump straight to the 13? I feel like they did. I believe they jumped straight to it. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with either of these. The 1100s are brilliant. The 1300s brilliant. It's, and I want to say these are pretty cheap these days. This is a category of bike that people look at and they're like, oh, well, you can't get on one of those. It doesn't have a beak. So I did just the other day see one in Cheyenne, 70,000 miles, never dropped, with all the bag liners, plus heated grips, um, heated seats, and uh, top box, again, with the bag liner. $3,500, $3,500, never dropped. There you go. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, it, even if you had to take it to a shop and, and have work done, you know, like how much could it cost? I, You know, I, it'd be hard to spend more than $5,000 to be ready to go across the fucking country. Yeah, and even if somebody chews out a gear, it's a cassette-style gearbox as well. So... You actually have a chance of doing it without splitting the case and tearing the whole thing down. Mm, okay. Yeah i i love this I love this choice because this is uh, for some reason this like I said this style of bike is has moved completely to adventure bikes. But you can have a pretty big adventure on this. I don't see any reason you can't especially with the right tires and uh, the you're not going to spend a lot of money. You're going to have more power than your average, um, more power than your average adventure bike. Uh, I love the seating position of these things. Just, just slightly forward, just forwards enough to make you feel like you're riding aggressively but not enough to kill your elbows and wrists. Yeah. In fact, I prefer this. I actually find this position more comfortable than like a straight up and down adventure or kind of standard like touring position. Yeah. It's just a little bit more engaged and it's definitely a lot nicer when you're putting a lot of miles in and you want to just have, you want to be just leaned forward a little bit more engaged and focused and that's what it gives you without, yeah, without wrecking your back. You know, a great reason to buy one of these bikes, every time I see someone riding one of these things, especially when you see someone's got one and they've they've put those little things on it to let you know that they do a lot of miles, like certain accessories, certain things, certain kinds of phone mounts, certain kinds of tank bags certain kinds, you know, like airhawk seed or you know whatever it is, right? When I see these things, you know, I don't immediately think, "Oh, that's the most badass bike in the world." But there's something about 
ST1300 guy pulls up to whatever roadhouse, cafe, Waffle House, Denny's, whatever you see on the road, right? And just the way the dude gets off the bike, you know, you can tell he's just done like, you know, 230 miles on that tank, right? Or, you know, since his feet last touched asphalt or, or, or sidewalk or whatever, right? And you just think, to, I, I always think, that's a badass rider. Like, this dude knows what he's doing. It's just, You get the same vibe from Concourse Guy, right? No. I, yeah, and this is also right up there with the um, with the Norge and fuel economy. This The stated uh, fuel economy is like 45 miles per gallon. So this is, with that seven gallons, this is easily, you know, like a 280 mile per tank bike. And right. you can get it over 300 if you're not speeding. But, you know, lots of people buy Harley CVOs and don't really live up to it. Lots of people buy Goldwings and hardly ever put miles on them. Lots of people buy one-liter sport bikes and never really learn to ride on a track or anything. I find that Honda ST1300 guy is much more often than not the genuine article. ST thirteen hundred guy, there's an it's upwards of ninety five percent chance is a real mile eater kind of guy. Yeah, and I feel like even if the bike doesn't get a lot of respect, the dude on it usually does. There's something about the bike and, you know, especially when it's got all the the bugs and the dust and the road grime on the windshield that and you pull, you know, I when dude on an ST1300 rolls into the campgrounds at Circuit of the Americas at MotoGP, my first thought is this dude probably came from fucking Alaska. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I don't even need to see the license plate because I know it's going to be from some crazy fucking place. Right, it's going to be from like Argentina or some some wacky crazy place. Oh, just a side note. Um, I was in Anchorage for all of last week, and one thing I did notice is that even though it was like averaging forty to fifty degrees every day, a lot of motorcycles out. Hmm. Well, I mean, if in Alaska, I bet people really do calibrate the seasons and temperatures differently. Yeah. This is pr- still probably like, what are you talking about? This is perfectly legitimate riding weather. Like, well, also, it was like raining every day as well, but people were still out. Oh, well, we've talked about this before. I have this theory that people ride the most in places where people accept bad weather as a part of life. Yeah. Right? It's shocking how little people ride in fucking Southern California and Florida when the weather's just fucking perfect all the time, right? Like, like where do people yeah. ride more than than Europe, right? Where it just fucking rains like you wouldn't believe, especially in, in, in England and Northern Europe, like, all the fucking time, right? When you accept rain especially and just other kinds of what we you know quote bad weather you just learn to deal with it and so you end up riding a lot more um yeah i i don't know what else to say about this the 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 reputation of this bike precedes it 
And, you know, it, this isn't to say that the Concourse and the FJR and, and a bunch of other sport touring bikes aren't great bikes. I I think most of the bikes in this category are largely excellent. But if this isn't better than the Concourse, this is really fucking close. And I would say for the average value of these these days, if you're buying one secondhand... I might go for one of these secondhand before a concourse for sure. Yeah. Now, I mean, I would probably already have one of these if I didn't have the Futura. But the Futura is just a sport bike that's kind of Tory. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, really, this is kind of beating it on a few different specs. It's a little bit heavier, but it's kind of ticking all the same boxes. And this is it's clearly not superior. Weird enough for you, though. Yeah, the future is so perfectly weird. It's true, but I would, I would totally go for one of these. I, I mean, but I'd also go for a, there. There are too many of these. I would love to just like rotate a different one of these flagship tours like every year, like all the twenty year old, like all of these flags, like a concourse. Just start with RT. a concourse one thousand and start working your way through them. Yeah, just like, yeah, well, yeah, I, no, I'd go straight for the 1400, just because there's too many to get through. But that, like, a, a 1200, like a 1200 RT, uh, this, I'd have to go through, like, an FJR. I want to do, like, I'd love to do all of these, like, early 2000 sport tours, because they're all fantastic. Mm. I support that. All right, are we ready to move on to Worst Bike in the World this week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is... The Rocket Sidecar. Or any motorcycle with the Rocket Sidecar attached. Okay. Okay. So, you've seen this. Here's here's the website I want you to go to, Swigs. Uh, Well, just Google rocket sidecar and you'll find an ad under saferwholesale.com and almost all of or rocketeer so there you go that's it yep yep you've seen it okay you've seen this before haven't you every motorcyclist has seen this because at some point Every motorcyclist is thought... This is like peak GeoCities levels of... Oh, this, this website's t- amazing. Oh, no. This this is a website that copied the very first version of Amazon and never changed the, the style they ripped off. This, this is website like, this is, is just a disaster. Yeah, this is like when you actually went to Amazon to buy books. Yeah, this is kind of what it looked like. I could use this website to teach a course in web design by how not to design your website. So, but what we're looking at is the is the rocket sidecar, right? Everyone has seen the rocket sidecar because everyone has thought to themselves, well, what what about a sidecar? Like, what what would that take, right? What what's involved in this? Um. Well, what you quickly discover is that sidecars are fucking expensive. You're like, wait a minute. 
14,000. I could get another side. Like, if you go to like TexasSidecars.com or Velorex or like whatever, whatever, you know, sidecars are fucking expensive. And they're expensive for a number of reasons. They have to have decent suspension, lights. Um, you know, I mean, frequently, frequently the sidecar itself is going to be five, six, seven thousand dollars. And you think to yourself, well, this is fucking crazy. Why? Why is it that expensive? Well, a number of reasons. You can't just take any fucking sidecar and attach it to any fucking motorcycle. It doesn't work that way. It turns out weight distribution, steering geometry, wheel size, suspension, yeah, uh, brakes, all sorts of things are very important. The sidecar needs fucking brakes, right? It should have fucking brakes. It won, like, it, so these sidecars also, guess what? No one's mass producing these fucking things. Why? Because they need to be made in different sizes, shapes, weights, with different wheels, with different brakes, to match the fucking bike it's being attached to. So they have to be made by real fucking artisans in small batches. And guess what? That's expensive. Not only that, but once, even when they're made properly, they're kind of fucking hard to ride with. It's a different skill set. Yeah, I mean, it helps if you just have a couple beers and just sort of go for it and you're not afraid. But, uh, you know, in any case, point is that people have thought to themselves, well, it's just a fucking metal can that rides next to my bike. It shouldn't be that fucking expensive. So what do they do? You start Googling, you're like, well, maybe there's a used one. Well, turns out they don't pop up all that often. Because somebody spent a lot of fucking money to have a sidecar matched to a bike and set up properly. And then after doing all of that, why would you take it off, right? No, you just sell the bike with the sidecar and you ask a little bit more money. So inevitably, you're, you go, okay, well, what is the cheapest new sidecar I could get? And that's when you find the Rocket or Rocketeer sidecar, because we have all found it. And you think to yourself, well, it's like a retro design. I kind of like this. And for like four and a half minutes, you're like, maybe I could spend the $2,000 on this. And then you find out, well, wait a minute. It doesn't come with the kit to attach it to your bike. And if you're at all smart... You look at the pathetic drum brake on it, and you're like, I don't know if that's up to the job. <laughs> and if you read a little bit more about sidecars, you're like, well, what what is the weight of this? Does this match? You look at the seat, and you think, huh, this little metal can, do I want to put my wife or child in this, really? And... If you think about the, if you know anything about sidecars, you think about the suspension as well, and you're like, "What is? How is this going to affect the hand? Am I going to enjoy riding my motorcycle with this attached to it?" And hopefully, all of this enters your mind, and you think, "No." And not only that, there's a good chance this will never even arrive at my house from whatever Chinese port it's going to come out of. 
And then sometimes you discover, holy shit, the thing just comes to me as bare metal and I, I have to fucking paint it. Wait a minute. I have to put seat cushions in this fucking thing? Wait, hold on. The picture has armrests. It doesn't come with the fucking armrests? This is such a pipe dream lie. This is not roadworthy. And it's $2,000. And it is straight up not roadworthy. Because if it was roadworthy, you would see these in real life all the fucking time. It would be far and away the most popular sidecar. It wouldn't even be close, right? At yeah. one-third the cost of just what a normal sidecar costs without even the service to have it attached to your bike for you and set up properly, you would see these everywhere. And how many swigs have you seen in real life? I have seen none. I may have seen one or two, but I couldn't tell you if they were this one or one that someone had made properly because I only saw it like going down the road. I have not confirmed, you know, this bullshit one in real life. I have not because I I bet it's completely unusable and unwritable. And you see pictures of these things attached to like this Royal Enfield right here. You see pictures of them attached to Honda Shadows. You see pictures of them attached to Harley Davidson's of various kinds. And I'm not even sure they actually have been attached to all these bikes. Some of them look like questionable Photoshop jobs. That's what I was about to say. The victory looks like a Photoshop. Yeah, it's it is a, a dream and a lie. And you would probably be better off making your if you're halfway decent at welding, you are probably better off printing off some blueprints for a sidecar and having a go at it by yourself. I'm not fucking joking. Just the fucking wheel alone looks sketchy to me. That wheel size and that fender. Like I I'm sorry. It doesn't it just doesn't look it doesn't look up to it. What kind of bullshit shock is in there? You know, like what's the spring rate on this versus like my bike and the weight of the right it it, it this is not this is not good. I can't. No, no. Uh, the, can't do it. Can't do it. But some people clearly are falling for this at some rate. Right. And I'm not in favor of more rules and more legislation, but I am shocked that California doesn't have some sort of safety inspection requirement for sidecar rigs, right? Well, the thing is, it's just so niche that I don't think they've ever thought they needed to. It's there's never been it it's such a niche thing already that there's just never been, I think, like a rash of motorcycle sidecar accidents <laughs> that anybody has ever thought you know maybe we should do something about this i think when the hoverboards were all exploding that was like 
that probably ex- like even though it was only like a hundred across the entire country, I think like that was a big enough thing to like swamp the number of like sidecar accidents from bad engineering. I, I it's just always been so small. This thing looks so rickety and sketchy to me that I would rather attach one of those motocross sidecars and put one of my kids in it, like attach that to like my gold wing and put one of my kids in it than this thing. Yeah. At least with the motocross sidecar. You can lean. What you can lean and also like in the event of an accident, hopefully that your child or wife will just get ejected from the accident scene and just land on the ground somewhere. Whereas in this thing, I think they would just fly forward and get cut in half. Yeah, that's another that's one thing that I've never uh, I don't think anybody has ever done crashworthiness tests on sidecars. Because I imagine what happens is either the whole thing just disintegrates or you just slam your hips directly into the shell, shatter both of them, and bleed out. I think those are really the only two scenarios. It'd be real easy to put a fucking airbag in one of these things, too. That's true. This would be great for an airbag. It'd be real fucking easy, yet, uh, no, doesn't seem to happen. Well, know. again, I think this is a volume problem. I I don't know. You can buy some pretty high end, like proper sidecars if you want to. But that there's a now we also have to mention the 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 rocket sidecar is the most popular. That's the one that grabs everyone's eyes. But there's also like a little mini scooter sidecar that I think you can pick up for like sixteen hundred dollars. That's usually advertised with these things. And then there's like that other one to the right there. Uh, there's like three or four of these different um, super sketchy sidecars. And again, I I just fail to see these in real life. Every once in a while, I see one of like the little like um, like pill shaped ones attached to like a Honda Metropolitan or something. And that's a little bit better in that the vehicle's never gonna go more than twenty eight miles an hour. <laughs> Um, yeah, scroll down and see if that little pill-shaped one is here. I bet, I bet it's on here. I bet it's on this website. Uh, that's pretty close to what I'm thinking of. It's not exactly it, but in any case, yeah. I mean, honestly, I would prefer a more open top sidecar because I think in any crash scenario, I would rather just be flung completely free of the contraption. Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh Uh-huh. Um... So yeah, when you buy this, or maybe thing, they could do like a Honda, like Golding airbag style thing. Yeah, that's what I was. Where thinking. like the whole thing flips up front, and then the massive airbag goes up, and basically you're going to get thrown into the airbag, and then like basically flipped over whatever you hit. I wonder if there's an airbag you could get that you could just clip to the to your side card with like an IMU in it. I mean, one doesn't exist, but what if someone, like, made one? Like a universal sidecar airbag rig. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, a lot of the people that would get in sidecars are people that think that the motorcycle is just not stable enough on its own. 
they're like afraid the motorcycle is going to fall over or something. So they're like, oh, a third wheel, that makes me feel safer, which anyone that's ever ridden a sidecar knows it's inherently not as stable as a motorcycle at all. It's way more dangerous in every single way. But somehow there's people that feel safer in doing it. So the idea of adding an airbag to it, I think, you know, if your whole play, the whole idea of getting a sidecar is I'm going to put my wife, child, or dog in it. Yeah. And in all of these cases, except for the dog, everyone's going to feel better if there's an airbag involved. Mm-hmm. And since you're already going to be spending probably close to $7,000 on achieving this dream, no matter what, how bad could it be to just buy a $500 airbag accessory at the end of that? Anyway, just a thought. Um, so, yeah, er people are attached to uh, get sucked in by the romance they look at this sort of rocket designed thing and whatever and they oh that's pretty cool it's retro up it that would look great on my whatever bike and yeah but it's not matched to your bike when you properly look into a sidecar there's all sorts of proportions you want to hit how long should it be as compared to the bike I, you know, general rule of thumb, it, like the sidecar should not go past, like, say, the forks of your bike. Um, at least the center of the front wheel. It I should be, I best... think, I think it's supposed to be something like three quarters the weight of your motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Um, there's all sorts of angles that things need to be set at. It's got to be set up so your bike shouldn't be just straight up and down as it's attached to the sidecar. It should lean slightly in. There, there's all sort. There's an art to it, and there's also it's, you cannot yeah. buy this piece of shit for two thousand dollars off a Chinese website to get shipped to you unassembled. You not knowing a fucking thing about assembling shit. Put this Chineseium contraption together that you're then going to put a loved one in that isn't matched to your bike, that doesn't have the proper hardware to connect it to your bike. You're going to buy some sort of universal adapter kit afterwards, which, I don't know, are you going to set it up correctly? Are you going to take it to a shop and have them set it up? Because I guarantee you, they will look at this Chinese piece of shit and send you on your fucking way and say, absolutely not. I will not be responsible for putting this piece of shit together and attaching it to your motorcycle. Go fuck yourself. Well, sketchy shop might after they make you sign a waiver. I uh, maybe, uh, but yeah, you know, you know, I think we should, I think because motorcycles should be more practical be able to carry more stuff and we should be able to do it with smaller bikes and more universally. I think we should get away from the sidecar as, you know, the extended, you know, luggage and transportation option. Oh, luckily we have. Now there's a lot more touring bikes with trailers. The trailer. Yes. Trailer's a way better idea. It's still not perfect, but it's way better than this. Well, there's also so many low speed situations. Also like the beer cooler trailer. It's a fantastic idea. I like the single wheel trailers. If I was going to get a trailer for the Goldwing, I would get one of those ones. It's essentially like a giant beer cooler, but there's just a single wheel attached to the back of it. 
and it rolls in line and then the um the um the the joint on the hitch like turns like your like your arm does like put your arm out in front yeah. of you right you know your the whole arm moves how does it stay up with one wheel um i'm not exactly sure on that they i just know they do um i mean i've seen the two wheel ones but i don't know how the one wheel ones do it you know i haven't thought about it but they exist obviously they do exist in some way i mean they must have something where it like it locks at a lower speed or something. I don't. I don't <clears> know. But they they exist. I just uh, clearly with the single wheel, like the whole thing is going to be the easiest to turn with. Is the is is the point? Yeah, you probably maybe don't want the to single wheels ones don't have the the joint that that yaws back and forth. Oh, actually, no, you're right. They, they wouldn't need to. They, it only needs to go side to side. Yeah. So that would be how it works. So yeah. the two-wheel ones have to have the one that, the, the joint that goes back and forth, and the single ones then therefore don't. That's the only way it could work. Yeah. Yeah. More trailers. Let's do more trailers. Let's, let's get away from this. Because I bet you can make trailers a lot cheaper. Yes, you definitely can. I have seen legitimate motorcycle trailers that have tents and shit built into them in the oh, yeah, 1500 like the to $3,000 range, and they definitely work. Yeah. Like, if your child or wife doesn't feel secure on the back of your bike, you know what's a lot fucking cheaper and easier than, than putting a fucking sidecar on? How about a fucking backrest for your passenger? A sissy bar, turns out, makes your passenger feel a million times more secure. And guess what? Doesn't compromise your you enjoying your ride. Also, you still get to lean and do all your motorcycle things. And it still stays the two-wheel vehicle. Making it still a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, yeah. I Sidecars in general are a sketchy proposition. And I'm not really into it, especially now that, you know, everyone in my immediate family rides their own motorcycle and is completely happy just being on the back. So I have no need for this in my life in any way, shape or form. And I would rather ride on the back of somebody's motorcycle than in any given sidecar. Yeah, and I have not mention, had good experiences with sidecars. I mean, yeah, I know you haven't. Uh, but, I mean, not to mention the fact that these days, I think the back of the right motorcycle is a way more comfortable, luxurious experience than a sidecar. Any Goldwing since 1989 is a much nicer place to be than a sidecar. Well, you're up Most, high where you can see everything. You're, you've got the benefit of the wind protection. You're not like you don't have. You're not really close to the ground with all the with all the road noise, especially if you're on a on a Goldwing with the air suspension. It's, you know, it may yeah. be a little unnerving doing kind of like low speed turns and stuff. But like for the most part, once you're in play, once you're all settled and the bike's moving, it's whether it's a BMW. K1600, uh, a Harley, Electroglide, 
a gold wing, even the occasional like odd bike, like a like a like a Vulcan or a Voyager. I've heard a million stories of people's wives and girlfriends, especially when they've got armrests, falling asleep on the back of the bike. Yeah. I have never heard this story about a sidecar. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Well, especially with the armrests, like, you know, if, especially if it's a long trip, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, like, they just get on their phone, like, while the bike's moving, and they just do stuff on their phone. Oh, that's one of the greatest things about having a passenger on your big touring bike. When you've got your helmet set up and you can share music and directions and everything, you just say to your passenger, like, you, you, if you got a passenger, that's the world's greatest phone mount. Yeah, it's... You don't even have to press the button to ask Siri to do shit for you. <laughs> you ask an actually intelligent being to find the directions or select the playlist or whatever for you. And then it just, and guess what? It happens. And you don't have to press the button and ask it six different times at different speeds and inflections until it finally does the thing that you want. Now, yeah, I guess, the, you know, your passenger can still do all of that from the sidecar, but I think it's better them doing it behind you because, again, the sidecar doesn't have the same suspension the bike does. You can kind of guarantee the ride your passenger's going to have on the back of your bike. It's a lot. They're having a different ride than you when they're in the sidecar. So, yeah, that's all I have to say is... Don't buy this piece of shit, and don't be tempted to buy this piece of shit. If you want a sidecar, it's just going to take money. And and it's going to take time, and you're going to have to have a real shop that knows what they're doing, set it up correctly. Otherwise, you're just pouring money into a pit. I mean, you're pouring money into a pit a little bit anyway. But if you do it properly and just accept that it's going to cost minimum seven grand minimum yeah i bet this you is, might end up with something usable i bet this is kind of in the the ballpark of like kit planes like how many kit planes do you think get fully assembled and certified and then flown right it's probably not a lot and it's probably percent <laughs> and it's probably <laughs> in the same ballpark as these sidecars and even with these sidecars once they get set up they probably get taken out once and then never ridden again. Yeah, either the rider or the passenger says, fuck no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we're getting we're, we're creeping up on uh, 50 minutes here. We, we should move on to some secret questions or something. <laughs> let's take a quick break. All right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with some secrets. And we are back. Okay, so it's time for secret questions. I have a question for you, Swigs. So, HRC, as far back as 2020, was really struggling in things like 
Moto America, World Superbike, you know, smaller racing seasons. And the last two years especially, but really the last three years, Honda has been struggling hard in MotoGP. And performance-wise, I feel like Honda's been struggling for a while. Honda was seen as sort of a, a budget brand back in the 60s and 70s. And, they, you know, it was the nicest people you meet on a Honda and all this sort of stuff. And then by the late 80s, 90s, Honda was also really hot shit and really became a prestige brand with things like the CBR 900RR Fireblade. And, uh, you know, like the 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 black uh, the blackbird and a lot of other stuff there were some real hot shit honda bikes vfrs yeah and it's really struggling again now i feel as a prestige brand it's a brand that people still think it's a value a honda bike's worth the money but the excitement factor has really gone down. Now, in the real world, if you get a CBR 1000, it's still in the real world a hot shit bike. But when you put it on paper next to what Kawasaki or Yamaha or I, even like KTM or BMW now, you know, supply in those same categories of bikes, it. Hondas are just kind of seen as mild or detuned or, you know, somehow lesser, right? And Honda's obviously crushing it with all their smaller bikes. And that's great. But they can't do that forever. And I think Honda needs to get something out there again that's really hot shit. And I think they lot let a lot of their hot shit stuff like slide because of Mark Marquez. I think they're like we can always hang our hat on all these world championships and there's more to come and people can say hey, you know, maybe the CBR 1000RR is not as fast as the R1 or whatever, but I mean there's got to be something to it, right? These are the people that give us the RC213V with Mark Marquez. And now that that bike sucks and Mark's not putting up the results and Mark's seriously thinking of walking away from Honda. Do you think it's more important? Cause I think they should do one of two things. I think they should either work on some sort of hot shit consumer bike or I think they should really be working on their GP bike. I mean, they could do both. But I know which one do, do you think is more important? What they need to do is they need to create a hot shit consumer bike. And it needs to be a loss leader. It needs to be like when uh, Kawasaki took the ZX6R and just said, hey, 10 yeah. grand. Yeah. It's got a quick shifter. It's got all the bells and whistles. You know, or, or not the ZX6, the, the 636. Right. Yeah, and they said 10 grand. And, you know, 
if you buy if you're buying that if you're if you're in the the Kawasaki ecosystem well the the, the 636 was the ZX6R at the time yeah it was yeah. the same bike yeah but you know the the the, the non-track version when they just said yeah not boom. the double R yeah so i think they need to do something like that they need a loss leader where your track day bro can just come in and say like hey this is the cheapest thing and it's really good and honda may make no money on it but they'll start selling other bikes as a consequence of it they need to do something because mm. they need to do it in a way because honda still really has that Does clean it need image to be like a 600 or one liter or can it be something like so like with yamaha you know they they've got their r6 and their r1 or whatever but like you know yamaha's also had this history and so is kawasaki of these wacky category hot shit bikes so i'm thinking of things like the v max or the zrx 1200 you know does it need to be that or can honda just invent something fucking wacky so that's another angle you could do honda could just create like honda with red bull could just go in together and say hey we're going to create a whole new class of motorcycle and we're going to manufacture an entire competition, like a season long competition that this bike is perfect for. We're going to build the bike and then we're going to build the competition. Or like Indian it. with flat track. Yeah. And just like, it, you'll just, it'll just be because the competition is molded to the bike. It's automatically the, the best bike for it. And, just go all just go completely nuts create something totally wacky and yeah just do something like that hmm you know something like super like yeah you know, in the way that like supermoto was kind of I was about like, to say Honda has never made an out of the box supermoto they could come in real easy and just make the best out of the box supermoto and I think people would buy it too. People yeah, responded well to that that uh, uh, CRF four fifty. Um, oh, the L, L? yeah. yeah. Uh, there are reasons I wanted to move away from that bike. But what if they made a real hot like a? What if they made a CRF five hundred L? No. What if they made a C, sorry a CRF five hundred SM? That'd be one way to go. That would that would turn heads. Maybe there is somewhere in the market you could get a parallel twin in or or a V twin. Just very slightly larger than a normal dirt bike. So like yeah. a hyper motard? Sort of like the hyper motard. If they could make something like that. It needs to be not super practical. Like it needs to be just a a dumbass bike for dumbass shit. Yeah. They need to get away from their super soft image because they've made their inroads there and they'll, it's going to, it would take them decades to lose that reputation. They could easily play against it for a while. And a CRF 500 SM I think could really deliver. It doesn't need to be a full-on hypermotar, but a 500 or 600 SM, I think, would... I, people would really be into that, I think. 
I think that's a bike that people would like to be seen on on the streets. And it would be an absolute category killer. And they could... I'm thinking, like, has anyone designed, like... You know, this is where they could team up with Red Bull and create something ridiculous. And Honda has the resources to do this. Think Pike's Peak, but entirely off-road. What kind of dirt bike setup are you going to have to try and do, you know, like 3,000 or 4,000 feet of elevation change up? And... And what's the perfect bike? What's the perfect suspension setup for that? What are the perfect tires for that? What is the weight distribution you want? What is like the ultimate climbing bike? Something like that. And it, you know, and you know, Honda really wants to keep their clean image, but if you made it super technical and interesting, you know, create a new obstacle for motorcycles to overcome. I feel like that's the direction Honda would would need to go. The problem with that, though, is they would just try to find, like, maybe make some sort of just special edition of the Trans Alp or something. And I don't, I don't think anyone's gonna look at the Trans Alp or, or, or the Africa Twin and go, "Oh yeah, this is the crazy aggressive thing for me." I, I think, I think those bikes are just kind of set in their ways already. I mean, the Transalp isn't even for sale in America yet, and yet everyone knows exactly what it's going to be, right? Some people are excited for the way it looks and whatever, but is it going to set the world on fire with performance or whatever? No, it's just going to be like, oh, well, I want a middleweight adventure, and I trust the Honda name. That's that's where it comes in. And Honda's not stupid. I'm sure they're going to sell some, and it's going to be just fine, but... Are they slowly sinking without realizing it, kind of really ignoring the performance side of their business? You know, because there was a time when Honda was kind of both friendly, but also hot shit. And the hot shit era of Honda has been over for some time. Mm. And I I feel like to be a prestige brand, you need some hot shit bikes. And they don't really have one. And I don't think it's worth taking the CBR1000RR or the CB1000RRR or the CB1000RRSP or any of that shit. And I because people just have this idea like oh well I'm sure it's good but it it can't be as good as a as a, a Yamaha or a Kawasaki. And I mean that's that's why I think they need to find some they need to find some sort of like OHV some novel OHV application. Well again and like invent like, a bike for it. A supermoto is perfect. Like a supermoto that's just out of the engine class. I mean why not? Yeah. I mean, they've done it before, and it's kind of worked. People fondly remember the CR500. Yeah. I, I think a CRF500 SM, that's the best one I can think of right now. There's probably something better. Listeners, if you've got an idea of of what a real hot shit Honda could be... um. 
I mean, I'd love to see something with the V4 again, but those days are kind of over. Just a real insane single would be great. Or... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean... I mean, they already did a CB1100, but if they did a CB... Well, here, here's something that you might be able to do. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the um, the Mountain of Hell bike race? No. So, it's a mountain bike course. And it starts at like 10,000 feet elevation in the Alps. Like, in, I think it's generally like early fall or late spring, something like that, where... You're ba- they're basically starting at it's like a like a 500 bike race and it basically goes like all the way from like 10,000 feet all the way down to sea level and it's through you know, you start off in snow like on where is this at I can't remember exactly where it is but it's somewhere in the Alps and like these bikes there's, it's basically guys are like just on hard packed snow in like on a at the top of a ski resort okay and then they keep going down and down and down until they hit like hard like rocky trails like above the tree line then they drop into the forest and the, at, when they hit the tree line they go through they start going through towns and stuff and just drop and keep dropping what if there was like almost like an e-bike class or like some sort of thing where one of the biggest aspects was like regenerative braking. If you could make regenerative braking like a big part of it because you want the bike to be as light Mm. as possible. Mm, I don't know because, you know, gravity is a lot uh, of, of your speed in, in mountain biking I, you can already attain a speed that's more than you can really handle. I don't think having a motor and regenerative braking is going to help. Yeah. I, I was also wondering, like, what if you could do something like, what is, what if you could create, like, a next generation traction control system that is able to handle, like, dirt, snow, and pavements and have the tires to go with it and the suspension hmm. to go with it? There's got to be somewhere because Honda, I mean, for Honda, it has to be, there has to be a technological angle to it and it has to be a highly technical, like sporting thing, because that's really what Honda shines in is like inventing wacky new shit. It's true. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I... I still come back to this this 500 Supermoto. I think that would be a genuinely exciting model that people would really go for. I, I'm I'm struggling otherwise, but but it seems that we we we've answered the question essentially. Is it more important for Honda to get a hot shit consumer bike or a hot shit uh, MotoGP bike up and off the ground right now? And I think we both agree they need something they can put in everyday people's hands. Yeah, um, yeah. That that's that's re- that's really all my question is. I don't know. 
Have you got a secret question? Yeah. So, uh, oh, this is going to do it as YouTube, but I don't want to do that. Uh, uh, cast screen. There we go. Nope. That's not what I want. Okay. So, is this the new heads up stuff? Yeah. So, this is an interesting thing that uh, Ryan F9 made a video on recently, which is he got a ha- he got a hold of through some very underhanded means got a hel- got a hold of the uh, the Showy heads up display helmet that apparently Showy doesn't want anyone to actually look at. They very much don't want anyone to look at because it kind of sucks. Right. Um, not available for sale anywhere, really. And technically only available to reviewers in Japan. Mm. Um, and in it, he talks a lot about, uh, well, one, how terrible it is. Because right. all HUD helmets are terrible. And they I don't think they will ever not be terrible. I, I well, no, no, that's not that's not true. There is one HUD that I've used in my life that was brilliant, and that was the head, the heads up on the Sega Lock On Light Game, Light Gun Game. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it worked perfectly, didn't it? And it worked perfectly because it was very simple. It wasn't trying to do everything. Which it seems to be the big downfall of motorcycle helmet heads up displays, right? And yeah. you know, even the heads up that work in cars work because they're trying to do a very small number of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a there's a few different things going on with it. Um, you know, there is just the fact that just within your field of view, tracking with your head, it's always gonna be it's always gonna feel weird. Yeah. Um the fact that cars are disconnected and it's really just a fancy dash yeah. is really all that it's doing for you. Uh, but he was talking about why they're doing it because he's talking about how there is this anticipation that more advanced safety features are going to start being required for motorcycles. And, you know, with a car, if you have lane assist, the car can just say, you know, because the balance, your balance within the car is not required for the car to move safely, you can have lane assist in the car. And if you start veering into another lane, the car can say, well, no, fuck your steering input and track you back on course. Or it can apply the brake whenever it likes. Mm-hmm. But a motorcycle can't. Uh, that's not true. Uh, Honda, Yamaha, BMW, all developed self-driving motorcycles in anticipation that in case one day they did have to incorporate this, they at least have some sort of basis of technology to work off of. Now, they don't want to have to do it, but they just developed it just in case. No, but what I mean is if your bike needs to suddenly like slam the brakes on because it detects that a crash is about to occur. Yeah, it can do that. Well, it can do that, but it's not guaranteed that you're going to stay on or keep the steering input stable when it slams those brakes on. Well, again, they have the technology to have the bike just take over the steering for a second. 
Yes, but are you going to stay on the bike stably in a way that it's actually going to be safe? Is your potential passenger going to stay on it in a way that's going to be safe? Or are you just going to get thrown or fall off the bike, fall off the side of the bike to the point that the bike can't stay upright no matter what? If the alternative is imminent collision with the car, I would take my chances. Potentially. But it doesn't quite work the same way. Um, so apparently this the way they're they're thinking of solving a lot of this is essentially giving you visual information that there's no other good way to give you while you're on the bike. Because you can't have it on a dash where you've got to look down. If you're going to notify the biker such, such that they can react or they can be prepared, that's what this heads-up display is for. And it's for things like blind spot monitoring and things like that. Blind spot monitoring would be better, but it, you'd have to react so quick. And are you going to see it and be able to react quick enough? I, people's reactions are not as good as they think they are. Right. I don't know that a heads-up display is going to help that anyway. Well, it's going to be better than like the context switch and the refocus like on a dash to have it just in your heads-up display that it would save those crucial seconds. But ultimately, this all seems just like it a would failed. be better. I feel to just have your handlebars zap you and just force your muscles to constrict mm-hmm. around the grips. <laughs> well, do you remember there was that? Um, you I, know, like when you accidentally touch like a like an electric uh, like cattle fence, and your hand can just clench around it. <laughs> your handlebars just do that, so you grip the bars real tight, so you're less likely to fall off. Yeah, that's I'm in love with this idea. This is a great idea. <laughs> um, but you know, this is the more that I think about like what the the logic was, it kind of seems like um, there was a company, and it seemed ridiculous at the time. And actually, it is still ridiculous. Do you remember that company that wanted to add um, the blind spot monitoring to motorcycles? at um oh yeah it AMA. works yeah and they they just put the the vibration pads in the seat uh-huh and yeah. you could just just whenever somebody's in your blind spot on the left your left butt cheek vibrates mm-hmm. when someone's in your blind spot on the right your right butt cheek vibrates. and it wasn't that complicated a system it was a series of sensors that you could get in a variety of colors that you just attached around your your bike so ideally if you had um bags you would put them like i think they went to like your like um did they go on like the ends of your handlebars and then like the like your saddlebags or something? They had it on a new Goldwing, and it looked pretty good. It was pretty like you, you had to point it out that it was there. And uh, I remember like like we could sit on the bike and the guy was like, "Yeah, feel it." So something's here now. Something's here now. And the system wasn't super cheap, but it wasn't ridiculous. I feel like it was like twelve hundred bucks or something. For yeah. blind spot detection on your bike, and I thought it was a pretty reasonable uh, idea. Yeah, I mean, I at this point, I still it seems like everyone's still working on this in some degree, and I think you know, in the last ten years, really, but especially in like the last eight years, I think everyone's had enough really really uninspired interactions with emerging technology that claim to be the future that everyone's starting 
to realize that actually the simpler ideas really are the best. Um, oh, like just getting more training on your bike? Yeah, and things, well, even things, like I think even regular people are now talking about the fact that the infotainment system slowly eating every single function every non-driving function within your car is a bad idea people yeah. are starting to realize that actually having a little volume knob and air ac controls like as physical buttons is a good idea but yeah people are starting to actually realize that no i don't want to have to connect my phone and have an app to do everything Go through menus to, yeah, to do mm. something like adjust the temperature or the fan setting down a click. Yeah. So. I guess that wasn't really a question, but. Well, it's not a question. But, well, all you need to know about the heads up display is that if it was going anywhere, we would all have adopted Google Glass by now. Yeah, that definitely would have happened by now. Just like, uh, do you remember six months ago when everyone was afraid that ChatGPT was going to take over the world? And I said, no, it's dumb. It's not worth talking about. It just uh, It's not actually artificial intelligence. Everyone calm down. And not only that, but even as a proprietary technology, it's like people are like, oh, my God, Google's going to go away and be replaced by chat GPT. Oh, really? Like, how well did the Microsoft paperclip work out? Right. How how well have these digital assistants in any way, shape or form worked out? Right. It. Uh, Especially in the form of a text box. When has that ever been the preferred way to interact with technology? We don't like speaking to Siri. We don't like speaking with Cortana. We don't like... We can barely type a question into Google. Google has had to get better and better and better at just interpreting simple keywords because we can't even bother to write a single sentence, let alone have a protracted conversation in text with some sort of digital assistant, right? It's just not the way we want to do it. We, it turns out what we want to do is hover a mouse cursor over something and just click on it, or even better, simply tap it with our fingers. That's what we want. We don't want to talk to it. We just want to poke it and have it do the thing that we want. Like a TV remote, right? This is the form <laughs> that these things have always ended up, you know, when they become successful. We don't want a robot we can talk to. We don't. And again, we don't want to like do a weird thing with our eyes to, to move a cursor either. It's been possible for a long fucking time. I remember in like 1997 on like CNN, like Tech Watch or something that you, you remember like the, the shit that's been around since like the 80s where like 
the, the you know, dudes put on the fucking like sweatbands and they can move a pong cursor up and down, right? And they're like, "Oh my god, you're going to control your computer with your mind." Like, "No, you're not." No, you're not. And you're not going to get a Google Glass like heads-up display and like move your eye around and like be googling things that way. And what you're not. You're not. Okay? I People don't like these things so much that, like, for a while, we were dealing with full-on miniature keyboards on phones because we just wanted to tap something with our fingers and have it do the thing that we wanted. Because we didn't even like the arrows on our flip phones. Like, the arrow buttons, like the D-pad arrow buttons, we didn't even like those. We didn't like predictive text either. Remember predictive text? Yeah, everyone eventually turned that off and texting morphed into its own language because that was more of a pain in the ass. Right. So the idea of the heads-up display in your motorcycle is so preposterous because no matter how well it works, it's fundamentally not the interface that you want. I mean, I'm still at the point right now where there are actually too many buttons on the Cena for me. Oh, this is why I went back to the the basic Cena model, the 5S. It's it it's just got the jog wheel and the phone button, and that's it. And it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Cuz it turns out anything I want the Cena to do, I would rather just have my phone do. Yeah. I mean, generally, I found okay. So, I am completely black pilled on this. I am, as a veteran software engineer at this point, I have had enough interactions with technology. I know how enough stuff works behind the curtain that I just I want less technology. I want it to do less, or at the very least, if it's going to do things for me. It needs to do more things without my interaction. We don't need... Like ABS does. Yeah. ABS is great. ABS just sits there quietly. technology. It doesn't constantly remind you that it exists. It's not in your face all the time. In fact, in its proper working order, the ABS light is turned off, which is what you want. The... Yeah, like technology should make things disappear. It shouldn't be flashy and in your face and show you more things because you don't need more things. So what you're trying to get at, I think, is um, something that Douglas Adams put his finger on in the late 70s, early 80s. And there's a difference between useful technology and pretty neat ideas. Yes. And yeah. So right now, all the bikes that have these flashy TFT things and built in apps and all these stuffs are bikes being bought by old dudes with plenty of that boomer money who are buying their last motorcycles because their bikes already go faster than they could possibly, you know, ride them. Their bikes already have a bazillion creature comforts. They're already well in excess of all the technology they ever hoped for in 1980s, 1970, 1990-something. So now they want to buy a bike 
with little things that they can show to their neighbors and go, check out what this thing does. Whether they're going to use it or not, they want a bike that is loaded with pretty neat ideas. They want digital watch wristwatches, you know, the, the motorcycle equivalent of. Right. That, that's it. That So, yeah, there's some old dudes that for the next few years might buy a motorcycle with a heads-up display, but no one wants it, really, to do anything. They just want it because it's a thing to show off. It's a thing... It's a thing to make you feel like you spent money on something worthwhile, perhaps. Like, uh, yeah. people our age or younger want a cheap, reliable motorcycle that goes fast enough with very basic instrumentation because they're more interested in the idea of a motorcycle that looks cool from across the streets that they can afford versus yeah. some bike or car loaded up with a million bajillion fucking things for questionable reasons and questionable outcomes. Yeah. So if you go, if you walk into a conference room full of software engineers nowadays, you know, you're not going to find, you're not going to find a lot of Apple watches. You're not going to find, you know, the latest equivalent of Google glass. You're not going to see people, using text to uh, speech to text on their iPhones. What you're going to find is a room full of people with like chopped up um, headphone jacks that they've plugged into their laptops to disable the, the speakers and the microphone. You're going to find tape over their webcams. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to see a lot of Android phones. They're also going to be communicating ideas to each other with flashy things like dry erase boards. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Yeah, You'll see a lot of like very basic text editors. It turns out the more you get into software, the more you understand how all these things work, the more you kind of drift away from a lot of technology. Oh, one of my favorite code editors is Sublime because it's so basic. Yeah, I'm back to Vim now and I'm loving it. It's yeah, great. that that's even more hardcore. But Sublime is great. It like it doesn't use up all my computer's fucking RAM. <laughs> like uh like uh 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 spring whatever um spring tools or you know, even intellij trash that's a trash awesome yeah no i know but even it like the free version of intellij like fucking drag shit down it yeah that may be one of the only solid editors out there but VS, anyway vs is still all right we're, we're, yeah okay we're drifting but like, a little bit I, I legitimately enjoy sublime i'm like this is great it's like notepad but it's a fucking code editor or well, Vim is really the 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 notepad of code. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Technology should be making things disappear. They should just you should just be very quietly confident that they're there and they're helping you out, but you don't need them. You know, it's like knowing that you're not in you're not driving, you know, a Chevette around and you've actually got crumple zones. You don't need to see your crumple zones working. You just need to know that you've got them. You need to know that your ABS is there 
it's nice to know that your traction control is there and that for the 10 seconds every couple years that it will activate in the worst blizzard you ever go through will remind you that it's there. But it doesn't need to be advertised in your face all the time. It's one of those, it's things that should really disappear into the background. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, if you think about a lot of a lot of motorcycles that are selling well and doing well right now, a lot of them still have things like a cable-driven speedometer. A cable-driven speedometer is very cheap to make, extremely easy to inst- to install and understand, and it's either working or it's not working. And if it's not working, it's like, hmm, maybe I should unscrew the cable on the back here and make sure the cable isn't broken. And if it is, you just replace the cable. And it turns out that's a very simple thing that consumers and mechanics enjoy. I've never heard anyone complain about how their cable-driven speedometer wasn't doing the job. Haven't heard it. And I, I, if you really press somebody on it, I've yet to meet the person that doesn't enjoy that mechanical device and that needle going up and down and it being a real fucking needle. I, there's a certain thing to that. We're all programmed to understand what it is, how it works. And you might say, well, if you're going to have this like digital screen anyway, maybe you know we can reduce a little bit of material cost and just have that be the speedometer anyway. Except no, because that screen and that computer is definitely going to fucking break at some point, need to be replaced. Whereas... Cable-driven speedometers routinely last 50, 60, 100 years. I bet they have less of a carbon fucking footprint than fake speedometers. Yeah, also you can just, 50 years later, you can just go get another cable drive. You don't have to go get the exact screen that your bike was sold with. All right. Yeah, you could even, as long as it fits to the fucking, uh, like, front hub of your wheel, theoretically, you could find some other uh, uh, speedometer drive and, and needle, and you could just, like, calibrate it and make your own, um, uh, you know, backing for it and just figure out, like, if, okay, 50 miles, my, my buddy's, follow, like, I'm following my buddy at exactly 50 miles an hour, like, oh. That's the speed that 50 miles an hour is. I can calibrate everything from there. Well, yeah, it's sort of like, um, it's like, uh, okay, imagine if you bought, imagine if, say, you bought, like, the most technically advanced motorcycle in the mid-90s, and it had all sorts of incredible features, you know, for the time. It's still 90s features, but, you know, pretty advanced and then all of a sudden, you've got that bike today. It's got a, it's got you know seventy thousand miles on it, and a piece of electronics broke on it. And the only way you could get that bike to function again was to go find an old Voodoo graphics card. 
oh. and install it. <laughs> you have to find a replacement voodoo graphics card. Because that's that's the future that a lot of these fancier TFT and display bikes are looking at. Yeah, but here's the thing. If it was a voodoo graphics card, it wouldn't just be the voodoo f- graphics card. You'd have to go you'd have to get Sound Blaster as well. That's true, yeah. Yeah, and no. that's a, just that's an even deeper rabbit hole right there. Yeah. Cause that's I mean, that's probably the supply situation you're looking at with a lot of fancy bikes today, like twenty years from now, is where are you gonna find like this specific like Aprilia TFT display. You go fuck yourself. It it's not you're not gonna be able to. And you're not gonna get like any one, any random one that you yeah, can put what in. What if you're what if you're uh like nineteen ninety eight BMW Funduro needed a specific version of DirectX? Yeah. And do you think Aprilia is working hard on making sure that all their software and their hardware is backwards compatible for twenty years? No, no, I don't expect them to be able to sell a turn signal five years after a model ends. How is the electronics going to work out? Yeah. No, yeah, I, it's all not, it's not good. Yeah, I, you know, like, there, there are certain things that have been proven to work, okay? Fuel injection over carburetors has a uh, 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 noticeable benefits that it's worth it right Mm -hmm. but it took a long time to get there and a while for that to really really become a new standard right yeah we've gone from essentially having carbureted motorcycles probably far longer than we should have then we went fuel injected for for damn near everything and then we just decided to leapfrog ahead to all sorts of very specific, very unlikely to be like maintained and future-proofed electronic farkles critical to the functioning of the motorcycle. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm. It's not good. All right. Let's... let's um... Let's talk about a motorcycle, unless you've got another secret question. Um, yeah, it's another, not really a, uh, a secret question, but there was another Fortnite video that was going around, that uh, they made recently that was talking about, um, can you outbreak um, ABS? No, absolutely not. Well, it turns out in a way that you there is a way that you can, but also, um, they brought on an actual uh, police accident investigator, um, who specializes in motorcycles, and he they they said some interesting things. Uh, one of them was eighty an eighty percent of motorcycle accidents they see that like you know they investigated they charted out. Re, re, um, you know, basically reconstructed what happened. 80% of the accidents, um, this is up in Canada, he said the crash could have been avoided essentially if the motorcyclist didn't suck at braking. And they were saying that in and 80%. Probably turning, but yeah. And, and in the majority of those accidents, 
the motorcycle rider only used their rear brake. <sighs> yeah. And that essentially with a lot of the a lot of the problem is that people don't know how much they can use their front brake and they don't know how to load their front tire. Uh, and they show that basically, you know, somebody who just jams on both brakes as hard as they can with ABS, uh, that person you can, you can outbreak, but in a panic, you probably won't. Like in yeah, the moment. the real world scenario where you're going to is ridiculous. Um, well, I've talked on I've talked on this show a bazillion fucking times about. Every time I get a new motorcycle, and at least a couple times per summer, there's some spots I go out to in the middle of nowhere where it's a full mile in between, you know, like two, two like farm fields where there's no driveways, no intersections, and I can get up to 60, 70 miles an hour and just practice emergency braking. And I've had Claire go out and do it, and it is it is such an underrated skill. And yeah. you can get rusty at it, and you have to practice it, and it's just something you have to do. Uh, you've seen me um, uh, 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 show my kids to do this at the dirt track. It It's just, here you go. Go from here to here, you know, and when you cross this line, stop the bike. Right. And I don't expect the world from them when I, when I have them do it, but it's just a little drill and it's just a good thing. And yeah, you apply the brakes progressively. And that can be that can happen a little quicker than you think. But yeah, you don't just slam them on. That's you just have to understand how braking works and you really have to understand you. Yeah. But I feel that riding um, shifting scooters has really helped my braking too, because those small tires and the small contact patch on scooters and um, I don't know, I feel like the relationship between your brakes is just very different on scooters, and especially something with the gyro, where both my scooters, uh, both my scooters' brakes are in my hands. One's not on my foot. Um. Yeah, I just I just think of my front brake first, and I've just made it a habit to incorporate the rear brake with it. Um. I think a lot of people using their rear brakes mainly also stems from poor brake maintenance. That's probably true. Uh, th there's a loads of reasons. There's the myth that you'll go over the handlebars. I mean, it takes a lot to stoppy a bike. A stoppy is harder than a wheelie. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I, I think just you know, every time I see this this sort of question come up, though. In terms of real-world application, while this conversation is going on, there's a lot of people who treat it as, like, a big priority and a life-and-death thing, which it could be. But it seems like, more often than not, the far bigger question is, 
are you practicing like basic awareness to make the crash to make the dangerous situation not come up to begin with because that's probably where most people need to put the their attention in yeah th- there's a couple things um people in these situations like to just repeat weird shit that they've heard and kind of pass that off as as knowledge and experience so you'll hear people say things like fuck breaking steer and, or you know and i i don't th- i don't think this is a a one size this is a one size fits all like answer situation or um you know equal not equally but there's also the thing of like uh you know that's dumb break until the point of impact well you know steering is important there's a lot of accidents that could be avoided by looking more into the turn steering's very yeah. important too uh there's um I mean, in the hat to layer down situation, I feel that just breaking until the point of impact is a lot better than your pretending that you crashed on purpose situation. Uh, or just basic I'm, things I'm like looking that... down the road and being able to go into a potentially dangerous situation 10 miles an hour slower or setting up your lane positioning to best avoid a potential accident. I mean, yeah, like, like, uh, leaning inside, outside, inside, outside, turning, looking into your turn, throwing your weight off to one side of the bike whilst keeping your, your knees, um, squeezing the tank and trail braking. You know, there's a whole bunch of things all put together that will severely decrease your need to have to do emergency braking, but you should still practice emergency braking. And it's just, it, it's a general like constant practice state of mind. Having said all that, I'm still really glad that ABS is becoming more and more common. Yeah. There's tons of situations where it absolutely has saved a ton of lives and continues to do so. And, I'm so glad it's a thing. But I would also say that a lot of people get so dogmatic about this and especially around like new technology and like whether like, you know, and what they need to have and all this stuff. But, you know, the vast majority of us got our motorcycle licenses before having an ABS motorcycle, you know, and a lot of us had it long before, cornering abs was a thing and a lot of us had it long before you know a bike with traction control was an option and people go into this so religious still never had any of those things <laughs> and people get so religious about it but my it's like 50 cc <clears throat> scooter is still my only fuel injected vehicle <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately it's like haven't you already accepted more risk than what you're now dogmatically claiming you need to have or you need to be able to do, which you couldn't do before? Like, is this, was this, if you started riding today, knowing what you know now, would this be the bare minimum that you, of like training that you would have to have, of technology that you would have to have to get on the road? 
Because you already accepted more risk than this. Why is this now all of a sudden such a hot thing for you? Right. It, I don't know. It gets... Yeah, it's weird. It, it, it is. It is. Um, well, I, a lot of it just comes down to uh, a couple things. One, if people can believe that they have some sort of special knowledge, it's really remarkable how secure that can make someone feel. Over things that seem like really clear-cut life-and-death issues, even. Like, hitting things with your motorcycle. Uh, you know, let, let's take something... This is going to sound political, but it's not. It's going to sound political for three seconds, and I'll explain how it's not. So, a bunch of people, for the last year or two, love to talk about this thing where this student claimed that you know she was going to identify as a cat and the school had to put in a litter box in the bathroom right now this is an urban legend and this is connected to a lot of people's feelings but some people say think that if they can bring this up that they have this special knowledge and try to enlighten someone who's on the opposite political sphere like ooh here's this thing i can lay on here's this special knowledge i have and this is why people believe in conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff right and we are shocked that people believe a story this dumb, right? It's a complete urban legend. But I remember growing up, like every person walking around believed 50 of these things. Oh, yeah. Everyone believed that uh, Marilyn Manson had two ribs removed so he could suck his own dick. This is pre-internet. Yeah. Everyone believed this in middle school. Yeah, I mean, you you only have to think about it for a couple seconds and it falls apart. Like, what doctor did this, right? Like, what anesthesiologist agreed to put him under for this? Like, what what insurance paid for this? Like, what? Uh, how? How? Like, what? What? You know, ethics board like was like, wait, you did what and didn't fire this doctor? <laughs> like, I mean, did he have to go to Mexico to get this done? I. The, you know, during what tour, what part of his fame did this happen? Like, what? There, there's so many things. It's so debunkable. It's so dumb, right? But I mean, even simple things like, oh, you know, like remember people say, oh, you know, we still don't know how bees fly. Really? Pretty sure it has something to do with their fucking wings, right? Yeah. People, everyone I knew believed 50 insanely stupid things everyone believed there was there were a lot of people who believed that everyone who used cell phones was gonna get brain cancer that was a big one yeah 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 the, the cancer there's so many i mean i could go on forever talking about stupid like really stupid things that everyone believed but we just didn't know any better we had we were never like exposed to how many dumb things we were believing it just it was just a thing now it turns out on average people actually believe far fewer insanely dumb things today but the dumb things that we do believe are just they just stick out more so it seems like a bigger problem now it's actually a decreasing problem but the core reason that it persists is like conspiracy theories like a lot of things when you believe that you have special knowledge, it doesn't matter how dumb it is. 
people, especially when they feel threatened or they feel that they're in a state of heightened risk, if they can clasp onto an idea that they believe is special knowledge, it is so comforting that it doesn't matter how smart you are. It is so comforting. It is so enticing to believe these things that you just can't escape it. I'm sure there's 20 insanely stupid things, I believe, and I just can't see them because it's so comforting to know these things. No one is above it. And it turns out the smarter you are, the better you are at doing mental gymnastics to justify believing these dumb things. Whether yeah. you're smart or stupid, you will still believe dumb things. Well, there I, are even professionals that will do this sort of thing. You can find... So, I know. I, I found lots of this stuff when I was... When I got my dog and I was looking up, like, what's safe for them to have? What's not safe? What's, what's dangerous? And you can find any number of expert sources that will give you the exact opposite advice to each other mm-hmm. on any given thing. Yeah. Some 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 vets will say it's totally fine for your dog to have cooked chicken bones but not raw ones because the raw ones will pass through their digestive system and then they'll like get stuck and lodged cuz they're too big and they they take too long to break down. And that the cooked ones will digest and they'll be fine. And then there are people who will say, oh, you ap- you can have uncooked ones, but if you give them cooked ones, then they're going to shard and they're going to pierce their gut and they're going to need surgery and it's all going to be bad news. But the raw ones are okay. You know, they'll tell you, spay your dog at a year old. They'll tell you you're absolutely irresponsible and it's dangerous for your dog's health. To not have them spayed before, you know, at four months, even though, like, you know, dogs are a living species that have been reproducing for generations. And I think they need to not be spayed in order to reproduce. That's kind of a a requirement. Like, people will say, like, absolutely opposing things all the time. And, like, even among experts, if there isn't, like, a very rigorous, like, scientific process and, like, you know, and there are probably institutions that still believe really dumb things, but yeah, it's so, unavoidable. So, yeah, this is something I've really been trying to make peace with for the last couple of years. And for a long time, I had a really big problem with like evangelical Christians and super hardcore conservatives and whatever. And, you know, these days I'm really trying real hard not to judge people for believing insane things because I've, I've I've gained a little bit more insight into why and how this happens and how many people are susceptible to it, how many smart people are susceptible to it. And I don't know, if you have quirky ideas about things like motorcycle brakes and whatever, I maybe I can't change your mind, but... In the whole thing of motorcycle safety, I can tell you that I have yet to look at material in a motorcycle safety course at any level and find something 
objectionable. I have heard a lot of people throw their street knowledge on me. And it's full of holes. I, I would I would say this is one of those things that you really can sort of trust, you know, quotes the science of, right? Everything that abates MSF and whatever, as far as I've seen, is information that has been gone over a lot. And they've considered those techniques in as wide um, in as many different situations as possible. Yeah, and even if there are things that you could technically improve on or could could say are technically not quite right, within a system and within a certain skill set, they are tried and tested. Yeah, and, and I, I would have to say, like, I, I would really urge people that have quirky or alternative ideas about braking and motorcycle safety to to look into those courses especially the advanced ones and that that's a that's a very good starting place for anything related to motorcycle safety and and build from there there, there's a lot of things, it turns out, when you take the advanced courses that end up going against the early courses a little bit. Because in those early courses, it's beginner classes, they're trying to give information that applies to everybody in every situation. Once you go into a second course, they sort of go, okay, well, now that we can assume a few things about you, here's some more specific information. And it turns out that that's when they start to tell you things like outside. In, well, they tell you outside, inside, outside in the, the first MSF. But they tell you more about body positioning and things like that in the second courses. And and um, different ideas about the, the front and rear brake interaction and, and things like that. It, it's, it's, it goes into more detail. And that might address some of your concerns about information that you think could be wrong about beginner safety courses um yeah that's that that's really the only constructive thing i can tell these people anymore is just d don't take my word for it look at what experts have debated over extensively and then come up with as course curriculum that you know is not only approved by the ama and other governing bodies but also pretty much every state government they're not just making this shit up. They don't have some weird agenda where they want to get motorcyclists hurt. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, practice your braking, practice your cornering. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I don't know, like have fun. You know, I, uh, uh here, here's my last thought and then I'll, I'll really let it go. Um, just the things that I learned in, the the beginner msf course applying that to just my commute to work i've still never technically ridden the perfect ride having my body set up in the perfect position to enter every corner being in the right lane position for maximum safety at every single time uh going the right speed 
using exactly the right proportions of front and rear brake for every braking situation, always being in the right gear, always having, you know, my suspension loaded, you know, before going into turns, having, um, remembering to turn my fucking turn signals off, uh, you know, having my bike perfectly maintenanced, um, checking my mirrors as often as I should on every single commute. I fucked up something at some point and that's like paying attention as hard as I can. Right. What if you're just not paying attention at all? Right. What if, what if I'm just not practicing these things at all? How many accidents would I have been in? I, I, I don't know. So that, I don't know. Just something to think about. All right, should we talk about a new motorcycle swigs? Yeah, let's. We should move on. Yeah, we should. <laughs> okay, uh, I have a, I have a motorcycle I want to talk about. Something that I saw. I would like to talk about the twenty twenty three slash twenty twenty four. I'm not sure if it's actually out yet. Uh, Moto Guzzi V seven Stone. So. A couple episodes ago, I had some things to say about a particular Moto Guzzi V7 Stone. Now, the V7 Stone is like the the basic Moto Guzzi, right? It's it's the V7, and it's you know um, a, a kind of p- specific trim. Uh, so you've just pulled up the V7 Stone Corsa. It's not this one, just the regular oh. V7 Stone, the 2024 V7 Stone. Yeah, here we go. This is a YouTube video, but that's fine. Um, so a couple things. Uh, Moto Gucci did incorporate some of the things from that uh, Gucci place. Like, you'll notice right away they have adopted that new cool headlight on all the Moto Guzzi's. Uh My favorite thing about the, the V7 Stone, the 2024, um, they now have glossy paint schemes for it. It's not all just this matte black nonsense. Mm -hmm. So the one thing about it that made it kind of boring and unappealing to me, they fixed. Uh, Not only that, you'll recall, Swigs, that two years ago they upgraded the – not upgraded, but they increased the displacement from uh, 700 and something to about 850. I think it's 853 cc's. Mm Mm-hmm. So in doing that, they took the the uh, V7's horsepower from about 45 up to like 50 something. It's a pretty meaningful boost. Uh they've put a new exhaust. That's the one that that's the one. This one right here that you've just brought up. This one yep. with the this is specifically the one that I was looking at with the gloss paint. Um so they've got this new exhaust system on it which they claim has taken the horsepower up to 65. And it That's is pretty substantial. 55 foot-pounds of torque. Mhm. So, we're talking about uh, we're talking about about a $10,000 motorcycle now with 60 something horsepower, let's say, with a variety of finishes, some really nice uh styling um upgrades recently. But a bike that has that's a long running model with legit pedigree behind it with legit history behind it 
with now in uh, uh, I would say it's kind of up there with Ducati scramblers in terms of how many different looks, paint schemes, and like sort of aesthetic configurations that it comes in. We're talking about some uh, legitimate horsepower because the whole thing with the V7 used to be, yeah, it looks cool, but I mean, it's, it kind of lacks a little grunt. It's got a little bit more of that grunt now at that 65 horsepower. We're talking about, it used to be that these things could just barely hit 100 miles an hour. Now we're talking about 110, 115, that kind of thing. And it's not going to struggle so much to hit that 100 miles an hour. Um, but what I love about this is we've got this mid-engine option, very low, easy-to-operate motorcycle with decent horsepower that's not ridiculous, all the options that you want for, you know, luggage and bags and things like that and finishes. But um, it's it's a reasonable price. It's really attractive. And um, like I said, it's got the history behind it. And um, um, it it's starting to feel like legit premium yeah if you were to put this alongside um like a royal enfield uh 650 gt or alongside like a w800 or kind of all the like those twins right. in that significantly category. more powerful yeah and you know and enough power now to kind of justify the price bump even though it's a moto guzzi like it did kind of feel a little bit weird to be spending a lot more money for slightly less horsepower and also to have to deal with the general reliability issues that a lot of these bikes kind of had. But now it's also a bit more of a more mature model. I have to imagine the reliability has gone up a little bit. It's uh, yeah. And now they've got all the different varieties. You can get it in a million different colors. There's a few different tanks and seats and, as you said, the aftermarket parts, it's now seeming a lot more reasonable. It really is. Um, well, I remember the last thing I was going to say. Because it's Moto Guzzi, if you've never owned or ridden a Moto Guzzi, you really need to because there's this one thing that Moto Guzzi specializes in that I don't know if anyone else really does this as well. And it's mid-range power. Moto yeah. Guzzi's only have mid-range power. Uh, they they just sort of explode somewhere around 22 miles an hour and feel like they're going to accelerate to infinity. Although they, they will, like, dr the, the power will start to drop off a cliff somewhere. But you almost never get there. Yeah, because it's not that kind of bike to just hold it wide open throttle and ring the tits out of. Like that's just not the kind of bike that it is. It doesn't ask you to do that. It just goes, oh, like you just want to like just fucking take. This is a gr these are amazing bikes for interstate on ramps. Yeah, these are fantastic bikes for um, getting away from, uh, you know, for for blowing past F one fifties at uh, traffic lights. These are 
you know, wonderful on back roads and just open it up a little bit and get up to 85 miles an hour and just feel the torque. Well, also um, that, that mid-range power is just fantastic for almost not needing to just drop to drop a gear to, like, scoot around somebody. Like, it's... It is weird that they have these massive air-cooled engines that just spin up so quickly. Yeah, so this uh, V7850, it makes that supposed 65 horsepower at 6,500 RPM. Which, I mean, won't con- won't shock you or me, because we've ridden a number of Moto Guzzi's, and we know that's just sort of how they work. It's just, it's all mid-range power. And... This is a bike that never had to say retuned for the mid-range because that's how it was tuned from the fucking beginning. And that's how it will always be tuned. It is very good if you're a um if you're a bit more of a laid-back rider cuz essentially you kind of ride this bike up to 3000 rpm in first gear. You kick it into second gear. You ride it up to 5,000 RPM, and every time you hit 5,000 RPM, you just click up another gear. You're never going close to red line. You're never really spinning it up, but it's got all that grunt in that range that you don't really have to. So it, it is a little bit more of a distinguished ride in that respect. So yeah, this, this 850 that they've had for a few years now, and now that they're really moving into some nice paint schemes and so you know like i said they've they've got this new exhaust system on it and everything um you know just uh this might be the best second bike ever right i wouldn't Mm. necessarily steer someone away from it as a first bike but as a second bike especially if you really like the retro styling thing this is a bike that's doing it very honestly. This has always been a bike. This always will be a bike. Motoguzzi's never gone anywhere. Um, is it? Is Motoguzzi? Is it older than Harley or about the same? I can't remember. I know it's a really long running name. I want to say Motoguzzi is the longest running, like unbroken motorcycle brand. I thought it was something like that. Maybe it is or isn't. I don't know. Um, it's a long-running brand. The V7's been a model for a bajillion years. This is a bike that... I, I This this is more credible than, say, a Triumph Bonneville. As far as, like, a legitimate sort of retro bike goes. But, as I said, this is like a perfect second bike, so... If you got like a 300 or a 125 as a first bike or something, this is such a great way to go as a second bike. It's a, a middleweight sort of second bike. The styling is just on point now. It's never been better. The performance has never been better. I think the value proposition has never been better. And I was I just wanted to say something nice because I was so mean about this. This specific, the the V7 Stone, when, when I was talking about the, the Gucci one. Yeah. And, I mean, I didn't really say that much directly mean about Moto Gucci. I was trying to say mean things about Gucci. Uh, 
And, and then I thought, you know what? I need to take a closer look. And I was like, ooh, they did incorporate things like that new headlight and stuff into this. And I was like, oh, the powers come up. And, oh, okay. Like, it, it's pricey because it's a foreign bike and whatever. But it's not insanely expensive. And I just thought to myself, you know, I could have one of these. Or, you know, like, I don't know, when Claire wants to give up the Rebel 300 at some point, I think this is a good direction to go. And I just thought, ah, you know, the V7 could use some love. This is such a great option. And, I, you know, I know people had some issues with the motors on the, uh, the, the 700 version, but I don't know. I... I, I don't I, I could be convinced to go in this direction. This this is enough power for me for, you know, a bike that's not a big interstate tour kind of thing and it's not a track bike. There's 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 plenty to, to love here. But I also wanted to say that thing about that that Moto Guzzi mid range power. This is a company that really only does mid range power. Right. I, I guess I haven't ridden a Mandelo yet. But I I bet it's still as as compared to other you know 1200 sport bike kind of things very mid-rangey as compared to 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 others, right? It's got to be. They're just lower revving, bigger torque, uh uh you know, kind of bikes. And on a bike of this size and displacement and weight, 55 foot-pounds is is something. Like you're going to notice this fucking pulling you down the road. This 55 foot-pounds of torque is enough to give you a little kick in the ass. I mean, is it going to be the biggest kick in the ass ever? No, but, like, it's going to be enough to scare you, right? Not everything needs 100 foot-pounds of torque. 55, it turns out, is pretty good, too. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, I don't consider it. I mean, if you could find a dealership anywhere near you, which there probably isn't, and if you're into foreign retro bikes which you probably aren't and if you're not obsessed with horsepower which you probably are then i think this is a good one i don't know like could you be convinced to have one of these swigs um i think back when i was commuting regularly i definitely could um now that i work from home just for my personal situation it doesn't make a lot of sense but yeah, I, I think, aside from the fact that I only need either ridiculously small bikes or ridiculously huge bikes right now. Right. <laughs> um, I think if I was looking for something in that power range, then absolutely I could do this over a lot of the competition. Now, it's not to say that this bike, because this isn't best bike in the world this week. It's not to say that this isn't without downsides. Right. Like I said, if you want to buy a Moto Guzzi, well, where's your nearest Moto Guzzi dealer? Right. Yeah. Most of us don't live close to one. But neither you or I live close to one. Yeah, it's what, 50, 50 60 miles away right now. Mm-hmm. And how many people in America live further than that from a Gucci, a Guzzi dealer? Most of them. Most of them. <laughs> uh, That's not true. No, probably only... Actually, probably only like a third of the country lives further away. But there's not know. a lot. I doubt there's one in every major city. 
And every major city? Yeah. Every city larger than Denver will have one. But at the same time, yeah. Like, what do you think the average number of Moto Guzzi dealers is per state? Like, oh, two, one, one like, two. Maybe like one point, one and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no way there's a hundred Moto Guzzi dealers in the country. There's no way. I, I'd i be shocked if there were 70 Moto Guzzi dealers in the country. Oh, no, there's probably 70. You think there's 80? Yeah, if you include, like... I mean, because there's probably, like... There's probably at least, like, 15 in California alone. There's going to be, like, 10 in Texas. I bet there's not 15 Gootsy uh, dealers in California. I bet there's not. I mean, uh, I guess I'll, we could Google this. It doesn't matter. But I, 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 I think we've I run doubt. long enough. I'll, I'll report in next episode. But, well, we'll have to see. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if there's not one in Sacramento, for example, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you know, like, yeah, L.A. is going to have four, and San Francisco might have two. I mean, we technically don't have one. We have a we have a combination Triumph, Gucci, Piaggio dealership in... Denver. Oh, I refuse to believe there's a single standalone Moto Guzzi dealer in like the entire world. The- <laughs> <laughs> That's right, sure. I bet if you go to the Moto Guzzi factory, they'll be like, "Oh, they'll probably well, try and sell you a Liberty." I've got like, yeah, I've got we've got a couple of Prillias that we've got in the back. Uh, you know. <laughs> The, yeah, I refuse to believe there's a standalone Moto Guzzi dealer anywhere in the world, even in Italy. It just, it's just not a thing. It's, it just doesn't seem to be their model. Um, yeah, yeah. Moto Guzzi is that bike that sold at that really weird dealership that no one can put their finger on, right? It's it's quite often also a used motorcycle dealership at the same time. It's like, oh, we sell... We sell Urals, Moto Guzzi's, and used bikes of every flavor under the sun is what we specialize in here. Um, or, or, or they'll sell things like, um, it's, it, it, yeah, it's always a combination of just really fucked up shit. Like, oh, we, we sell Ural sidecar rigs, uh, SYMs, Moto Guzzi's, and electric bicycles. You know, that, that, that's always the dealership there. Put it. So that's a downside there that, you know. Getting your warranty and service work's gonna be a bitch if you own one of these. And for some people, that's enough to not pull the trigger. And I totally understand that. But, you know, if you're really trying to scratch that, oh, I'm such a I'm such a unique person, I have I you know, and I'm an old soul and I've gotta have this style of motorcycle, I think it's such a much more interesting choice than a Bonneville or a W800 or any number of things like that. Right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I want to say about it. And I don't think there's ever been a better one than they're making right now. Also, if I was going to have one, I'd have this new one with a little bit more power. So, 
So there we go. Um, let's see. Do we want to talk about anything else? We're at like two hours now. I think we're good. I think we're good too. Um, so let's see to end this. Let's see. We did that double dump episode, uh, double dump of episodes last week that seems to be fine. Like weirdly more people have listened to the four hour scooter episode than the regular episode from last week so far. It's a little you disturbing. sick fucks. I love you all. Uh, uh, we might have double episodes this week or something because we might have the captain on the show again in a couple days here, but we've had a number of guests fall through recently. Um, so I'm not going to hold my breath for it, but hopefully, hopefully he says he's got reason to be in town up here anyway. So we've got that coming up um let's see any other news again remember you can still join the patreon and get yourself an autograph poster along with the opportunity to be a guest host on the show and i think that's really everything that we have to add so with that i guess we need to remind everybody as i load up the sound effects again to Stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting and or fucking the dragon. Are we ready to do this outro, Swigs? Let's do it. All right. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Cold.